Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, a Mitrap podcast. Well, how you doing this week, Mike? I'm good. We are back at school. It's week two already. And uh feeling tired. <laughs> <laughs> you but, look uh, tired. Yeah, yeah. It isn't I'm out of practice, you know. It's been <laughs> a year and a half. So Yeah, so you're going Every day, like commuting in, yep. and when do you get there? Forty minute commute, leave my house seven ish. Get there seven forty five. Um, I'm talking straight nonstop with maybe a five or ten minute break somewhere sprinkled in there until four thirty, uh, with clubs and tutoring and kids after school, and then forty five minute drive home. Usually home by five thirty. It's a little longer coming back, but yeah, man, just. It's crazy schedule that I'm not used to. <laughs> <laughs> You're ready for uh, that October break, right? I'm ready for summer break. <laughs> 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 and every all the listeners are like, what a bum. He just had a year and a half of a summer break. <laughs> uh, you were working your ass off. You were working your ass off at home. The digital stuff what, was tough, yeah. Which was harder, digital or in person? Dude's two different worlds. Yeah, digital by far is harder for knowing the kids, loving the kids, giving the kids what they need, making sure they're learning. But it was so great on my schedule. In sure. person is easier to teach the kids to have those moments of, oh my god, you you learned it, you did it. Yeah, um, and you've been doing this for how long? Uh, this is year eleven. So yeah, over a decade. Yeah, so you already have you know your system, your down pat, you know. Like right. Right. But schedule-wise, in-person is much harder just demanding on the body <laughs> yeah. and, and the time. So You can't roll out of bed, zoom it up. Dude. And then and then be at the golf course by uh, 3 o'clock, you know? Dude, I, I sometimes did 18 holes after digital school. I don't know the next time I'll get a few holes in right now. Uh, uh, we got to schedule something before uh, for the first frost or something. So That we do. That we do. That we do. Yeah. But what about you? You you had some good things going on. What's new? Yeah, I had a a whirlwind of a weekend um mm-hmm. went up i had a wedding on saturday that was fun and then we went to hershey park with the family uh on sunday that was that was a lot of fun kind of crazy it was nice to get back although it was freaking like i don't know never mind I'll, I'll i'll keep my politics to myself but uh okay, okay. uh you know it was just it, it was it was nice to have some sort of semblance of non-pandemic life right. um yeah, but uh, yeah, but I've just been having fun, enjoying it. I love it. I love it. I got to really focus on uh, on work though now. Like summer, that was our last summer hurrah, and now I got you. Get back into the grind. Dial it in. Yeah. You know what else we sprinkled in though? Amidst these busy schedules, last Thursday was it? A hangout that was, that was with fun. our patrons. That was a lot of fun. That yes. was good. That was good. It's nice to meet you know Mark for the first time. Steph, Steph K came on, and then of course an appearance from the special agent herself, Sherry. Always great to catch up with Sherry. Uh, yeah, we had a yes. good time. Yeah, talking uh, enemy at the state, enemy at the gates, not enemy at the state, <laughs> enemy at the gates. Um, talking, you know, just the future of of these books and everything. Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun, and I, I'm. I'm happy to know that I wasn't the only one that had the same feelings about this book. We're, we're, we're not spoiling it, but uh, 
No. You know, we're going to get to that. Um, but it seems like people people like this book, and right, it's pretty consistent. People like the book. Don't see eye to eye on a couple of things, um, but we'll talk about it next month, October. Yeah, and uh, you guys can go uh, pre-order your copy if you haven't already. It'll be coming out September 14th, 15th? Yeah, 14th? next week, 14th. Jeez, that's yeah. less than a week away. Can't believe it. I know. By the time you're listening to this pod, it'll be two days away. Right, right, right. Kyle's already doing some interviews. I didn't catch it yet, but he was on with the Crew Reviews guys. Our nice. podcast pals, we love them. Yeah, they always do a killer job. Very good. Just so you know, we are going to hope to talk to Kyle, but we wanted to put a different spin on it until after most of you have read the book, because a lot of the author interviews are kind of non-spoilerish, dance around the edges, and and not dig into the plot, the character development, the action. We want to wait until a number of you guys have read the book, got your pre-ordered copy, and try to bring Kyle on maybe late October or so, and really spoil the book, and really get to talk about the decisions he made in in Enemy at the Gate. So hoping, hoping we'll be able to bring that to you next month or so. Yeah, I really want to, um, you know, I, I really just have some questions that just in a normal, normal one of these book tour interviews, you, you can't really talk because you want people to go out and buy the book and you don't want to spoil right. it. So you can't spoil it. We want to yeah. spoil it. A month we want to spoil it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And if by you're then taking all month, of our listeners will have, uh, will have listened to it. Right. So, if you're taking we'll a month, read it, so. To read the newest rap book when it comes out, we we don't know if you're necessarily a weekly listener to this show. <laughs> yeah, unless you're really busy. But yeah, true, true, true. Well, Chris, why don't you just jump right into it and tell us? Jump right into it. Fifteen minutes into the episode, and uh, tell us what we're covering today. Yeah. So speaking of Kyle, uh, we have moved on from Vince Lynn. We did a great wrap up of Vince's last book last month, The Last Man. And now we're continuing on, and one of the reasons we felt like we should go, you know, sort of skip for now, Enemy at the Gates, uh, and go right to, to Survivor is because of this transition, and really all, coming off the heels of The Last Man, we wanted to dig right into that, in, into a book that I think both me and you agree is, you know, really great. Um, it'd be interesting to find out at the, uh, you know, maybe in the next pod where you think this lands in all of Mitrap books, um, over time. But for me, it's just like the, such a seamless transition between last man and this book, you know, handing off, you know, we've done, given Kyle nothing but praise since the very beginning, since we started this. And, you know, it's not just bullshit because, you know, we wanted to talk to him or, or whatever, you know, we, we thought he did a really good job and the, the series is in a really good hands and you could tell it with this book. I think we'll try to sprinkle that discussion in, not just the plot of this book and the characters as we like to do, but we really want to find those hinge points where we could see Vince's voice continuing through Kyle's hard work and effort. And I think you'll agree that 100% happens. Kyle really worked hard from the sentence structure to the pacing to the kind of worldview that he gives us to really stick to Vince Flynn's vision for the Mitrap universe. But at the same time, I want to dig in with you 
where we do see Kyle putting his own stamp on the mm. series and yeah, where definitely. his own voice as a writer comes through. I think he consciously didn't want to do that very much this book because it is so seamless in Vince's voice. But there are a few key moments, and I want to talk with you about that as we go, where I think we see Kyle right out the gates really owning the series and proving to the readership that we can trust him. Yeah, no, very much so. Very much so. And you know how I capture all of those thoughts? How do you? In the form of a limerick. Give it to us. It's a quick one today. Maybe I'll have another one next week when we finish the book, but today's is mostly about the transition. So here we go. A transition that is oh so seamless, as we wondered, would it be hit or miss? Kyle passes the test, and for him we are blessed. In the survivor, not one thing amiss. That's that. Good job, Mike. That was good. Good job, Kyle. Good job by you. All right, so... As we always do with the beginning of the books, got to give you, you know, the Rotten Tomatoes of, of books, uh, the Goodread score. Interesting. This one had one of the lower ones, a 4.26. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that's, you know, initial, you know, who we have knows when the, yeah, I'm sure there was like some contingency. I didn't want to go down that rabbit hole of like Googling <laughs> and, and figuring out like, you know, people's tweets from, what did this book come out, 2015, you know? You know, yeah. people up in arms about, ah, oh, no one can take over. I mean, people do this all the time with, like, right. the Ludlum right. books. and Right. You know, get, get over it. Get over you it. Remember you remember know? what Rob Richer said? Was it Rob who wanted us to apologize to Kyle? I, I think it was Rob. He said he blasted the, a review of The Survivor just right out the gate. He just wanted to say, no way. Nobody's as good as Vince. He was such a good friend. But now Rob's like, oh, man, Kyle's doing a great job. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. So, yeah, I think this low Goodreads score is just the haters going to hate, you know, first reactions. People are processing, right? Processing with a keyboard. Yeah, um, but it has a decent score on Amazon, 4.5 out of 5,700 reviews. So, decent. And uh, the summary goes like this. Top secret data has been stolen from the CIA, and the only man who knows its hiding place is dead. CIA operative Mitrap must race to find the classified information in this blistering novel that picks up where the last man left off in Vince Flynn's New York Times bestselling series. Joseph Rick Rickman, former boy wonder in the CIA, stole a massive amount of top secret and hugely compromising intel concerning classified operations all over the world, offering it and himself to the Pakistani secret forces. Only his plans went awry when the CIA director Irene sent Mitrap to hunt him down. It turns out that killing Rickman didn't solve anything. In fact, the nightmare is only intensifying. Rickman stored the potential devastating data somewhere only he knew, and somehow, from beyond the grave, he still poses a mortal threat to America. Now it's a deadly race as both the Pakistanis and Americans search for Rickman's accomplices and the information as they slowly leak into the world. It's pretty good. That's Sets that. up. That's it. Give you... Gives you a brief little uh, summary of the last book, going right into this book. So yeah, I think it captures it. And I, I will say, you know, just from, I don't think it's in my top five, but maybe my top ten. Oh, we'll we'll, we'll mm-hmm. talk next pod about that. But what I did 
especially love about it is the you know picking up like without a beat right from the last man yes like we're pummeled right into this intense you know you, you, again we we brought this up a couple of different times where when novels seem to capture something that you want to see on screen mm-hmm. you know something that you think can be conveyed really well on screen like this is a perfect cold opening to a movie you know like yeah. having bb kincaid like running down the street you know or, or you know casing somebody with her purse and the camera and then you have scott and maslick in the in the van and then you know mitch is walking or, or driving yeah. whatever you know uh, I, I feel like i've seen you know the op- this to me reminded me like the opening of some sort of um yeah what is it uh with tom cruise mission impossible movie you know yep 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 so what do you yeah, think of the, like the first scene i like that action uh it's the prelude actually where we we are jumping into the action which vince has done plenty of times mm-hmm. and i like that it's coleman actually the first words of the prelude are scott coleman right uh, i love that as this cold open it, it basically tells you exactly what's going to happen which is this is a team book you know the team on the ground relying on each other and then kyle's not afraid because i we're going to talk about in a minute who wrote the opening scenes of this book vince or kyle we're going to get there but yeah kyle's not afraid to start off with an action scene right because that's what vince did best right he he made his action gripping his characters were complex and Kyle says, I'm going to do that right here with this chase scene. And the link to Last Man, they're chasing Sitting Bull. I know. That was, that was that was cool. Absolutely brilliant. Because Sitting Bull, we talked about it on the Last Man pod, was this tiny name drop, tiny detail drop. But there was a story behind it. And Kyle unpacked that story, right? Joe Rickman gives this name of an asset the highest place mole we have in the Russian government. He wasn't supposed to know about it. Kennedy's it has has an oh shit moment that his his code name was out there. How does Rickman know it? Well, now Scott and team are tracking Sitting Bull, and it's scaring Kennedy. And so the impact Joe Rickman had from the Last Man is alive. The fear tactics that he's placing on Kennedy, Mitch, and the CIA are just full blown. A genius, I think, for Kyle to pick up on Sitting Bull. Yeah, and I also like the fact how, you know, after Mitch and Coleman are able to you know, rescue Sitting Bull, but not without, you know, some interruptions by the Russian military who are also, you know, chasing this guy. Rap, of course, does his thing, takes two of the Russians out, right. captures a third, immediately starts interrogating him. And then you have this oh shit moment of, when did you get the information? Right. And he says five days ago. He's like, Rap thinks he's lying or whatever. And then, but Rap quickly realizes he's not lying. And he's like, wait, Rickman's been dead for two weeks. Right. He just got this email. Like, at that moment, you know, like, shit, this is going to be the story. He's going to slowly start releasing this information. Because we knew about the files that he told, or at least he threatened he said that. Um, Durrani with, right? Yes. You can't kill me because I have all this, you know, information and, you know. You kill me, it's gonna um, leak if I don't have my prearranged. No, it won't. Times. Remember, he said he said it won't leak because I, I guess he had. There's, I picked up on, on this later. The lawyers had two contingency plans. Mm-hmm. I think 
if he died, but Durrani was still alive, gotcha. The information they go down one route. Gotcha. But he, if he's alive and Durrani was dead, then they go down a different path, which is like what they obviously did, releasing all the files. Yeah. So like, yeah. if Durrani had killed him, then Rickman would have just the information would have got destroyed. Essentially, I guess. Wow. Or maybe even sent back to Irene and said, Durrani did all this. Or Durrani you know, was the one behind yeah. this. Yeah. And that was Rick's insurance policy. Right. Who knows, right, if that was Vince's story? Those two little seeds. Rickman yeah, saying he has, he has a plan for the files to be released upon his death. Or the Sitting Bull name drop. Who knows, right, if, if that was what Vince envisioned for the sequel to The Last Man or the next book. No one will know. But the fact that Kyle chose that, picked up on it, and ran with it, I think it is bold and brave. And and I think whether or not that was the story Vince had in his mind, I think he would have patted Kyle on the back and say, you nailed it. I, you know, I teed that one up for you. Yeah, I love it. I, and let's let's talk about this for a second because... Do you remember, I don't know if he told us on our interview, but Kyle has definitely mentioned, yeah, he told us, he definitely mentioned Vince left him a few pages of this book. Well, when he went to go ask, all right, let me have the notes for the survivor. And they're like, all right, here you go. Uh, It was just the first five pages, the first three pages, whatever. Three pages. Yeah. So I, I looked it up. I, yeah, I looked up, and the Real Book Spy also on his website had a note that it was three pages Kyle was given from Vince. And I don't think it's the prelude, because that's about six pages. So I don't think it's the action scene we just described. I think it's super fitting that instead it's chapter one. Because the mm-hmm. prelude is kind of like a little side action to get you into the book. But chapter one should be the marker of the depth, right, where the complexity of the plot is really going to start. And brilliant, it opens at the farm near Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. So another CIA safe site that we haven't been to yet. And it opens with Nash and Kennedy. And out on the porch at this safe house are Rap and Hurley, and they're looking at them through, like, the glass sliding door. And Hurley, of course, is smoking. And Rap is there talking to him, and Kennedy and Nash are musing on these two men, their similarities, their futures, and we know Stan is dying. He's there right. coughing, and Nash is kind of telling Kennedy, like, "You gotta, Mitch is gonna go down the same path. You know, it's gonna right. happen to Mitch. Mitch is gonna turn into him, just be a crotchety old man, die of cancer." And Kennedy's like. Not everyone's made for white picket fences and a nine-to-five job. And I think she says, don't judge, Mike. It's a pretty cool conversation. Did you pick up on this thing? Well, I, I guess if it is the, the sense that, or the if you think that Vince wrote these these these, cha- these pages, the, or this chapter, he's been sowing the seed of, like, the rift between Nash and Mitch, and then even in, what was it, uh... It was just the last book where like mm-hmm. Nash didn't didn't obey uh, and Kennedy Irene, sidelines him. And yep, Kennedy sidelines him. Like, yep. so yeah, I guess that makes sense because either that or or Kyle really is picking up on that. So yeah, um, you know, seamless transition. We're, we're getting a continuation of these character arcs uh, right. that are that are going to hold through, and it's not right. like all right, this is a new character, you know. So I, that's great. And just so I I found the quote and. 
it's the end of these three pages of chapter one, which I highly, highly believe are the last words that Vince Flynn wrote in the Mitrap series. This and is so what you if think. If you don't it mind. Is. Yeah, really, it has to be. It's three pages, it's the first chapter. And wait till you see the last written word that I that we believe is Vince Flynn's writing of the Mitrap universe. If you'll allow me, I'm gonna read his final written dialogue. I know you're worried, Kennedy said, but you have to stop trying to control him. Trust me, I've spent 20 years trying, and the best I can do is nudge him in a general direction. Nash frowned. He's going to end up just like Stan, a bitter, lonely old man who's dying of lung cancer. Look at Stan. Even now he can't put those damn things down. Don't judge, Mike, Kennedy said with a weary tone. He's been going through a lot. How he chooses to go out is no one's business but his own. But Mitch, it's plain as day. That's the road he's on. Kennedy thought about it for a long moment, taking a sip of tea. We're not all made for white picket fences and nine-to-five jobs. He most certainly isn't. No, but each time he goes out, the odds are stacked against him. I used to think so, Kennedy smiled. And then I came to a very simple conclusion. What's that? He's a survivor. That's chilling. That's how they got the title. That whether it was Kyle, the Flynn Estate, a publisher, Emily Bessler, whoever chose this this title, if indeed he's a survivor, was the last written words of Vince in this series. It's brilliant. It's absolutely. I mean, this this is all you know, speculation. Sure, our conjecture here, but. I mean, it makes sense, right? I think it, so. It just, and even when you were reading it, that sounded like, like Vince. Right. Right. I don't know. Absolutely. Maybe I'm just like too far into this, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Totally. Hey, we could have the wrong three That's pages. Awesome. Could have been another three we pages could. that were handed <laughs> It could have been a random, and... you know, it could have been a random three pages at chapter five or something. Or the <laughs> right. three pages might have not even made it into the final version, so. Hey, he's... Mm. Mm-mm-mm. Just it, it, whatever it is, Kyle or Vince, we can't even tell, right? Like, we can't even delineate. Yeah. It just shows this was the right person for the job. Kyle did his due diligence. Whether it was writing this scene or choosing to put the scene as chapter one because Vince left it for him, absolutely brilliant. I, I love everything about this book because of, you know, you read that and just you're ready, right? Hurley. And rap standing out on a patio, Nash and Kennedy musing about their future. This kind of dialogue, I'm ready. Kyle, take the series, run with it. Uh, just we're in good hands. Like that scene signals to me, we're in good hands. Mm. I agree. What I don't agree with is, okay. so before we got on, before we got on, I told you I did, while I do generally give great praise for this book, I do have one or two nits to pick, and one of them's coming up in what the next part where we're going to talk here. So, immediately after this scene in Istanbul, or while this is happening, um, Irene heads to Islamabad in order to meet with the director of the ISI, Taj, who we met in the last book. And, you know, he's sort of trying to cover his ass, says, you know, he knows what happened uh, it was durani uh, mm-hmm. uh he believes that like you know someone else you know some other person took out uh rickman 
and that he's going to work with her in the future. He apologizes. Right. Essentially, all this fake bullshit. Right. And then the next scene we get in Pakistan is Taj saying, he's talking to his assistant, I believe, and that he knows where... Because remember, Irene wants this general, Kayyem, who who is the reason why Joe Maslick, or not Joe Maslick, why Mick Reavers is dead. Right. Um, and we, so we get this this quick turn of, all right, Taj is not this bumbling idiot who, or, you know, sort of like nobody, where who was painted in the uh, last, man, last Man, but he's actually going to be the mastermind of this book. Yeah. I didn't quite buy that. Is that right? That's my biggest thing. I I didn't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like he just the, his descriptions. I mean, but maybe I, again, I'm maybe I'm just grasping. Maybe I'm grasping for straws here. But because he even says that he always, you know, he he would write all the right answers in school and then change them to make sure he maintained a B plus. So like or B minus. Where he he wanted to be inconspicuous. He, he yeah, average. He wanted to be average, seen as average. Super average. Yeah, not. He wasn't like, you know, this go get him guy. But maybe that's his, you know, his big plan. And obviously, you know, we're mm-hmm. gonna talk about his plans in the future of to eventually assassinate the the president of, of Pakistan uh and take control. Um but I I don't know. I just I didn't see that coming and I didn't yeah. I didn't believe it. I just didn't believe it. Maybe that's just me. I definitely see where you're coming from. I can understand why that's hard to believe. But I'm okay with it, and I think for two reasons. One, I think deception Hmm. in this part of the world and the quagmire that is Pakistan and the Pakistani government and its relationship with the U.S. and its intelligence services, I don't put it past anybody to be that deceptive and that cunning. Like he tells Kennedy, I'm so sorry for what Durrani did. I didn't know anything about it. I'm kind of going to be your your ally in this fight and telling the Americans one thing and then doing another behind the scene to me is 100% believable. So sure. In the geopolitical context, I believe it. Maybe I'm I'm tracking with you. I don't buy it in Taj's personal life and his upbringing. He like since a teenager didn't want to stand out so that one day he can emerge as this ruthless character and not have any enemies because he was always just bland and vanilla. Right. Uh, you're right. I, I maybe don't buy at that as much. But in terms of the deception of someone playing America in the ISI in Pakistan, I totally buy that part. No, but really yeah. being, you know, a hardliner and a jihadist, on, you know, behind closed doors. And don't get me wrong, like, I, I, I think it works, like, in terms of... He then goes on to kill General Kayyem and Zahir, who's working for Mitch, and then sends them pictures and says, oh, here you go, you know, when in actuality he he was, like, friends with Kayyem, and Kayyem knew that he couldn't he couldn't live because the CIA couldn't... Mitch was going to try to get him no matter what, right? Yeah. And he, he keeps laying these seeds of, I'm working with you, but I'm actually not working with you. You know, like, later on, I think even... He wants to flip Senator Harris because he thinks Senator Harris can become the next president and he, Ferris. he could have F- Ferris, sorry. And he can have someone on the inside. But to me, I think like I would have believed it more if it was like the, the general of the army, you know, 
Uh, I'm blanking on his name. Um, yeah. Or even the or even the president. Even like the president. Jutani. Yeah. yeah. Just well, the character that we got in The Last Man. Right. But again, you're right. He, Taj. Taj played that role in The Last Man of I'm like the savior, the bad ISI people. I'll root out and be the American ally or at least someone yeah. with an, a modicum of intelligence in the Pakistani services. Well, now that's President Jutani, right? President right. Jutani is like the mid-level, not a hardliner who's going to reestablish relationships with America, you know, by the end of this book. And Taj is the hardliner. So it's kind of like using – like Taj took Tarani's spot. spot right, exactly. Exactly. President Jutani took Taj's spot. Okay. I, I could see that as kind of recycling an old storyline that's been done a book prior. You know, okay. I see it. I was just I trying it. to think of like things that, you know, we do the winners and losers at the end. And True. I was trying to think about something and that just like it jumped out to me and it, it sort of stuck with me and then I started like started running with it. So maybe I'm just right. thinking about it way too much and all of no. the listeners could be like, Chris, shut the fuck up. Like <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, it's a, and yeah, it doesn't matter in the long run, but you know, that, that's just what I was this. thinking. Let's agree to this though. Uh, even if that was a misstep, you know, for our winners, losers, I think Kyle correctly and succinctly captured the U.S.-Pakistani relations sure. for these dynamics. Yeah. And also they bring in the war in Afghanistan and how that has complicated things in the U.S.-Pakistani relationship. I mean, here's just a quote. I won't read the whole thing, but, you know, Kyle writes, the money originally earmarked for the Mujahideen continued to flow. The U.S. had supplied $5 billion in aid to Pakistan, most of it quietly absorbed by the military and the ISI. I buy that, right? Um, Pakistan's military-industrial complex and intelligence apparatus had become addicted to American dollars. The only real source, uh, the threat to their massive source of funding, was the eradication of terrorism in the region. This left the ISI in the twisted but wildly profitable business of publicly fighting the terrorist threat while well, privately secretly, supporting it. Yeah. All that is like perfect, right? Like you captured it. It's almost like Brad Thor in getting these geopolitical uh, backdrop explained in a paragraph or two, but not writing it off. Like you're explaining it succinctly to the reader and it sets the tone and sets the stage. So I think that part done very well, even if the character of Taj was a slight miss. Yeah. So. Okay, here's... I'm my, I have an open mind to whether or not you might convince me. I'm I'm not I'm not decided yet if this is a winner or a loser. Tell me what you think about Rickman's motivations. Mm. Why we I wanted talked to get about to in Last Man. We wanted to know why he was doing this. And we get a little more of that here. What's your take on it? Right, so we he obviously sent the first email about um, Sitting Bull. And then while we're in this, like, uh, I think Irene is, like, talking to somebody, and then she gets an email. Or, no, mm -hmm. uh, what's his name comes in. Um, why am I blanking on names tonight? I'm going to go with that. Um, Marcus comes in yes, and says, yes, I, yes. I got a video. Yes. And then they watch this video, and it... <sighs> I guess the man went crazy, and he would have had to have gone crazy in order to go through that torture and make it look real. But he says that Afghanistan ruined his life, ruined his yeah. marriage, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Like that wasn't enough for me. 
it, it left I me agree. a little bit left me a little bit lacking mainly because they didn't show Rickman in or Vince didn't show Rickman in the last man being that unstable you know right. what I mean this right. was way more like psychotic Rickman I mean I guess you have to be a little bit crazy but like this was like fucking Joker crazy you know it, he's it was cackling he's yeah. cackling yeah I almost wish like Vince started it off in the last man and went down that path. I would have been okay sure. with Rickman here going off the deep end. Like, yeah, he records this video for Kennedy to watch after he's dead of him laughing Before at he's bringing her down yeah. and destroying her and destroying the CIA. Uh, he says, quote, the world is chaos punctuated by brief outbreaks of civilization. Mitch, you know that better than anyone. Like, that's Joker stuff. And I didn't think that was Rickman's character. I could see somebody cracking under the pressure, right? Uh, Look at how deep he was into all of the complexities of our involvement in the Middle East. It's basically on his shoulders. The reintegration program, he was the one, you know, shuffling this billions of dollars around. The politicians can hide in their mansions and their offices and support it. The second it goes wrong, they can wring their hands and call for, you know, trials and subpoenas and accusations. And Rick's, Rickman's caught in the middle. Like, his hands were dirty. He had the weight of the world on his shoulder. If anybody's going to crack, it's a guy like him. So I guess I'm somewhat okay with it, but little, little off kilter. I guess – Maybe it's just we never really knew his motivations in you know that much because the only re- we only really saw him during his interrogations, and then after he got beat the shit out of and you know was yeah. being held by Durrani. Yeah. Um, but for me, like you know, I think we asked this question in our last man pod where, what are his motivations? I thought that it was just he had had enough and he wanted he wanted money, he wanted to get out, and he wanted to take down Irene, which. Yeah. All that's here, but it's all, it's like taken to the to the next level. It's and exaggerated. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. I, I you could have also gone with because in the last man, Vince set up how his brain is so light years beyond anybody else in the business. Sure, maybe you know minus Kennedy. You could have gone with like a beautiful mind schizophrenic type of thing. Maybe you know, like he had this crazy IQ. He could remember everything. He had stacks and stacks of information in his brain, like an entire encyclopedia. You could have taken like real case studies and examples of how people like that crack and weaved it into his story from the beginning. But the fact that that was never weaved in, like he had very rational conversations with Durrani. Mm -hmm. You know, in those conversations, there could have been little hints of this dude's a little, the screws are loose. Uh, but no, his conversations with Durrani were just like normal bros, like people talking to each other. I mean, maybe so, we should have just been primed for it with the fact that he was willing to get himself you know, beat that bad, taken, you know, being beaten to beaten to almost death. Yeah, you, you know? got to be pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. You know what though? Uh, I also wanted to find areas where Kyle puts his own stamp on things, mm-hmm. and this is one of two things that I found: Rickman's monologues. This video in particular that Irene and Mitch are watching. And there's another couple of monologues 
and emails and things when he releases them of him just spewing. I think that's very Kyle. It makes me think of Total Power, Jed Jones radio mm, shows and podcasts. Right. I think Kyle just liked these manifestos. I'm trying to think of other examples. I think Reminds there's me one of the Russian enemy, president. There's one in Enemy at the Gates. The Russian president was um, from Red War. I think Kyle likes writing, whether it's in front of the TV cameras or in a letter, a ransom note, some sort of just monologue that expresses this worldview that's sometimes a little bordering on conspiracy theories. And I see that kind of built or starting, like that style starting with Joe Rickman's releases. Hmm, I see that. I see that. Yeah. I think there's an example in Enemy at the Gates. I don't want to say too much. Oh, there's definitely an example of my second thing, which I'll get to when we talk about Gould. Maybe that's the next thing we get to here. Yeah, so right from chapter one, we know that they still have Gould in custody. Uh, and then when Mitch brings back the Russian, he they decide that they have to, they're going to have to bring him in because the only way they, they know that this is only the first drop of information more is probably going to come out they need to get to obrek which they couldn't yeah. do in the last book he's the link and and he's the link and he's the only way to do it there's an interesting like scene where you know he rap goes to gould and rap just has this very interesting soft spot with gould and it's that's been a through line through all of vince's books or at least like early and then the last man obviously when he came back and then you know kyle is continuing it here i guess because he sees himself and you know he's mitch sees himself at least that and somebody who this guy has a life that he wish he could have had right that got yeah. taken away from him um what did you think of the uh he asked for something to read and he yes. gets thrown to washington post right and there's that uh the classified that's what I wanted to bring up because it's kind of like a little puzzle. There are these riddles in a classified, which is Obrecht's way of communicating his jobs to Gould. Because Obrecht, the banker, you know, bunkered down in Switzerland with ridiculous security, is Gould's handler. And he's also the only lead the CIA would have to the Rickman files. Because Obrecht hired Gould, which means Obrecht was involved with Rickman and his plan. Because that's how Rickman got Gould involved, through Obrecht. And so by getting the Washington Post, Gould is pretending he's just casually reading the paper. He even says he memorized some of the other headlines in case he was asked, hey, what was the paper about? It would look like he read the whole thing. But he was really only interested in the classified, which I don't remember it exactly, but it was like, I'm looking for a personal assistant. Right. The work will be in my home. Uh, Interpol, Interpol will verify the details and the amount of money. It was $85,000 or whatever the price. And here's Gould reading that going, oh, personal assistant means you want me to come protect you. At your house means the the villa in Switzerland. That's where I have to show up. The 85,000, I think it was a, a 10 time multiplier or maybe like 100 times. 15 time. mil. Yeah, it, it was, was like 15, 15 mil. mil. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. It was 15,000. But in reality, with the multiplier, he knew that would mean it's a $15 million contract. And he couldn't figure out this Interpol thing, which later on he right. learns 
is Hurley, because Hurley tried to contact Obrecht as a cover working for Interpol. So anyway, that tells Gould, hey, maybe I'll cooperate with the CIA. Mitch and Irene have already figured out Gould knows Obrecht's security, knows Obrecht's protocols better than anybody else, being his handler. And Gould basically realizes, I need to work with them. But once I'm in the house, Obrecht knows we want to take out Mitch, you know, so I'm, I'm going to turn on him. I'm going to be a snake. I'm going to get him in there, show that I'm working with them. I want to earn my life back, but he really doesn't. He really wants the 15 million. He wants to make the hit on rap because as we know, Gould needs to be the big dog. This is where I think Kyle thrives with these little puzzles. There is one an enemy at the gates. We're not going to talk about it yet. But I think Kyle likes doing these little puzzles. Mm. I don't know. Do you think I'm crazy? No, it's definitely, you know, something that he likes. He's has this FBI type mind, you know, cracking right. things. So, uh, yeah, I can see that. I can totally see I'm that. trying to think of other examples, maybe. So the two things that I'm going to look for in the next couple of books is Kyle's like monologue, like writing a character that has like this uh, spiel. And then also these little riddle and puzzle things sprinkled mm. in. That's good. That's good. I wanted to ask you, so they're, they decide they're going to use gold, right? Yes. And Marcus builds this really sick 3D model. Oh, <laughs> I just yeah. wanted to bring that up. Like the that, 3D that whole printer. Des- the whole description of the 3D model and how like they build the house and like it's built in layers so they can move it out. Like uh, my all my buddies were architecture majors in college and I remember them doing this stuff and it just reminded me of that. But like this was... I think they had said it had to be broken into like a couple pieces to be taken down the elevator to, yeah. to reassemble. Uh, that was really cool. And, you know, obviously Mitch is testing him, you know, throughout the whole thing. Mitch knows all this information. Wants his input. He gives the right answers. The whole time we think, you know, Gould is in his mind saying, I'm going to go through this, but I'm going to turn on him. Um, and you think that Mitch is just taken at a face value. However, we find out later that Mitch knows this guy is a lying, cheating bastard and already tried to kill me twice. So I better have a backup plan just in case this guy, you know, tune didn't tune really hasn't turned. Right. Right. Um, before we get to like the actual, you know, takedown at Obrick's house, I wanted to ask you, did you buy that scene in the, the cell? right after he reads the newspaper when Gould, uh, I don't want to call it, but he like cracks and he's like, I'm going to kill Mitch Rapp. I'm going to be the best. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, like remember in the last man is the only reason he didn't kill Mitch Rapp then and there is because he, he saw other people there and he was worried. He has self-preservation. Yeah. So if he didn't, if he didn't catch on those other people, he would have taken the shot. He was ready to take the shot until and he was he thinking deduced, about it, right? He deduced the same people who hired me are going to kill me after I do this. They had the manpower blocking both sides of the street. He even thinks, like, I could go through the roof and maybe down a back door. But he's like, shit, they would know that's my only other escape route. They'd have me there. And so the only reason he crosses the street and warns Rap of the attack, he realizes it's his only way to survive. So... Mm. So kind of, again, he realizes his only way to survive and get out of CIA custody is to play along and pretend he's going to help them. So I think there are some plot holes there. 
think if this guy really were nearly as good as Mitch Rapp, better than a Scott Coleman, because Louis Gould is one of the top assassins, I would say unequivocally, he's supposed to be better than Scott Coleman in terms of his skills. Mm -hmm. He probably could have gotten out of that situation a different way. See, that's what I'm saying. I think that this, this Louis Gould is more like the Louis Gould from Consent to Kill. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I the think, last man, Louis yeah. Gold, is is not like Louis Gold. You know that that's what I, I that's right. what I I picked up on. I think you're right. Kyle gets Louis Gould so right, a la the the consent to kill Louis Gould, the same way Vince kind of maybe had a miss hit on Gould in the last man. Right. Yeah. It just that whole I'm gonna now help Mitch, or I'm I'm so scared of him. You know, because at first he sees the he, because he sees Mitch come out and he's like shit, That's and then he kill. starts like everything like you know sort of. I guess it's happening pretty fast, but it throws him off. Yeah, yeah. I, I just I think that I bought this as Louis Gold, especially like the Louis Gold from Consent to Kill. Like you know, yeah. this is the guy we're talking about who was like, yeah, I'm fuck, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take out his wife too. You know, I I need to get right. this guy. I gotta 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 get him. I gotta get right. him. You know. Dude, listen to this quote. Listen to how right I think Kyle gets and understands Louis Gould. Many people had called Rap a psychopath over the years, but they had no idea what they were talking about. Rap did what was necessary to protect innocence from fanatics. If a threat ever disappeared, he'd put his guns in the attic and find another line of work. Gould killed for very different reasons. Money, certainly, but there was more. Like so many assassins for hire... He had a pathological need to dominate those around him. Having said that, there was no denying the skills he possessed. The general consensus had long been that Gould was top four, and Rapp's killing of the second best six months ago moved the Frenchman into a podium position. Yeah, I think that's right. Like Rapp, if there were no threat, if he did not have to defend America and what it stood for, he wouldn't fight. He wouldn't have a thirst for killing. Where Louis Gould, it's not about that value, it's not about that belief, it's simply about being the best, proving you're the best killer and you can hunt the hunter. Uh, so I think Kyle really got Rap and Gould's differences in motivations. He got it right. Who's the second? Who's the, Sorry, uh, who's the second? You just read that and I... Oh, you know who I was thinking? You think it's Victor? Oh, maybe, I guess. Yeah, I no, guess no, so. no, six no. months ago. No, no, it says six months ago. No, because Victor was just... Okay, hold on, the, last man, a long six time months ago. ago, what was before last man, Pursuit of Honor? Before that was Extreme Measures. Could Must it be, be something off book. Off book then, yeah, there was a second best killer. Oh, hold on, and who's third? Yeah, who's Louis third? Gould moves into third. So that means the third place moves into second. So it goes, Rap is the best killer. There's a second, and now Gould's the third. So who did Rap kill six months ago? But who else is also between Rap and Gould? Grisha Azeroff. Grisha, but he's not brought in yet? Okay, that's interesting. When we meet Grisha, what is the backstory of where he's been and what kind of contracts he's been doing? We we gotta we we gotta pick up on that. Yeah, could it be Grisha? Could be our first drop of Grisha is is the the man to become second. Do you think Kyle wrote 
Louis Gould is the third or on a podium position because he, in his mind, wanted to make a villain who is even better than Gould? I think so. Yeah. He knew it. Interesting. Oh, damn. That, that, I, I didn't, that line was just like, it went in one ear and out the other, you know, just like, right. I didn't pay attention to that. But as you're reading it to me, I'm like, wait, who's the second best killer? Right. Wow. All right, we gotta, wait, Her- we gotta Hurley. Hurley's still alive. Hurley's second best. Maybe Hurley is second best? Even Yeah, he has to be, even at his age. No, I don't know. I, I don't think Gould would have said that. Her, he might be, but I don't think Gould would have said he's true. He's second best. Because Gould has a lot to say, and he's a lot in his mind about Hurley and how he's just a washed-up old man. You're right. He, like, he thinks Gould it would be great. Admit that. That's a good trophy to get while I can get Mitch, but it's not yeah. like, yeah. So, yeah, no, let's Damn. let's talk about this whole takedown of uh because i think that's pretty much you know yeah takes us halfway that's, through the book that's the final action of this first half i would say yeah i guess you know i i want to end with the ending of that so before right. we get into that i guess the everything else that's going on while uh mitch and company are taking it down is you know we get a little more backstory into taj and how you know all along he's been planning this plot and this plot and then we we get this interesting scene at the nuclear depot where mm. um, some people have attacked it. And we find out that it was actually Taj that ordered these people to attack it uh, in order to, you know, he's just amassing control, taking over the nukes. Right. Uh, he, he sidelines the military general. The army. Um, he has his assistant go and, to Italy. There's a, there's a couple interesting scenes that, right. you know, they're at the end there's just filler, filler chapters, but... He gets the assi- this is, um, assistant to find the lawyer who Obrecht or Rickman had been using and gets the information. So besides that, um, yeah, Taj is it's setting it up for Taj to be the main right villain in the second half of the book. I, it's also important, though, because, man, with all we're talking about, I forgot that entire... It's not even a subplot because it is the main plot. It's the main plot. That Taj wants to beat Kennedy in tracking down the Rickman files and the yes. lawyers releasing them. So you're right. I mean, Because he doesn't actually want that information out. He wants to... To, to control it. Control it. And maybe right. even take the people that they've flipped and then flip them again. Right. So that he can have... Essentially take... All of the CIA's uh, spy assets and and have his own even bigger, you know, assets. So He has this grand plan of the ISI supplanting the CIA and Pakistan really being the world's driver of intelligence because he holds all the cards, at least in, in the region, at least in South Asia and the Middle right. East. But ergo, you know, other countries need to come through him for, you know, in, intelligence, specifically on America. He wants to he wants to be the thorn in Kennedy's side that Rickman was by pretty much usurping Rickman's hold on power, which is the files and the threat to release them or manipulate them. And he's got to beat her there. And he has a bead. He sends Gadai to Rome to find one of the lawyers, holds the uh, the daughter hostage. Right. And right. And gets her to turn over the files, give him the encryption key. Well, not yet. Not the encryption key yet. But give him a lead on the next player in the game. Not the lawyers, but the ones who are actually decrypting the files and posting right. them. Right. So that's that comes in the second half. Yeah. He's tracking down the, the files. 
to everything that I said earlier about like how I didn't buy a little bit of his character, I still thought he was a pretty cool villain or like yeah. I, I liked him as a villain and right. uh, that he's one of the reasons why I think this book works. You know? yeah. so. We're also getting hints at how he does plan to take over the country. Like you said, he sidelines the army general and gets mm-hmm. the president to give the nukes to the ISI. But then there's also little hints of they're going to try to remove uh, Shutani from power. Yeah. We and get like this one line. You meet the where chef? I th- yeah, I think. Well, no, no, we haven't gotten there yet. But I think like Gadai just says something about, yeah, the president is not scheduled to die until next week. Yeah. Like In two weeks, then, the president yeah. will die. Yeah. And then they don't. It, no one ever says anything about Nothing it. They else. just continue their, their like conversation. And it's like, oh, shit. Like that's what they're going to do. Yeah. Uh, that was kind of cool. You do randomly meet a chef also earlier in the book. I don't know if it's this early, but there's a random scene where Taj and the palace, whatever, is like, oh, there's this internationally renowned chef in town. He's going to be cooking for this banquet. You know, so you get that as, oh, a, as, yeah. a, little, as a little drop. He's like, yeah. oh, celebrity chef is here. Let me meet him. Yeah. And then later on, he's like, oh, yeah, the president will be dead in two weeks. And then conversation just continues. So there are these like sprinkles, these hints at, at what the the final action will be. But man... I just want to get there. The hit on the Obrecht house, yes. there's some cool shit going down. That's a cool action scene. It's kind of like you've got Scott, Wicker, and now Bruno McGraw and an injured Maslick because he got shot in The Last Man. They're all casing the surrounding forest, and they're going to try to take out the the spotters and any snipers or guards out there. Wick does hit a few. All the while, Hurley is inside the Obrecht house, posing as Interpol, and he's on the comms, but it's only, like, one way. Like, he can't really talk because he knows he's being watched inside the house. So Hurley's, like, coughing and talking to himself, kind of, you know, (laughs) like an old senile man, but he's really on the comms. And Rap's coordinating that with Gould taking them through a hidden tunnel. This passageway that Obrecht put for Gould, in case Gould does have to come and save Obrecht, you know, in an emergency, Gould can get in because he's Obrecht's right-hand man in the assassin game. And Gould, secretly the whole time, is planning on turning on Mitch once they get inside. But it's pretty cool, wouldn't you say, how this whole scene is set up from three perspectives? Hurley on the inside, rap with Gould, who we know is going to betray him, and then Wicker... Scott and the boys set up outside. Yeah, and then there's like halfway through it where as soon as I think they all split up into their, you know, Mitch finally goes in, we then are are put in onto the the fact that Rap has a contingency plan for Gould. Like, yep. for a while there, you're like, oh shit, you know, Gould's going to, this is He's not going to end well for Scott and, and, and yeah. Mitch, right? You know, and then it's like, oh no, they thought about this you know, this could be a possibility. And then they quickly, like, I think Scott was, like, um, taking down foliage, and then he quickly, like, puts it all back and then moves to a different position, which is, like, a worse position. But, you know, yeah, it, it was all very cool how we're jumping back and forth between these, these you know, three different players. And, right. you know, also, as well as the Iranian plot that's coming. So We've had probably a few moments in in the field where I'm like, holy shit, how does Rap survive this one? How does he get out of this enigma? 
like he's pinned down. This might be one of the top moments I've had recently in the books where I don't know if Mitch is going to make it. Like, imagine, hold on, imagine this, Chris. That action scene where Ghoul turns on rap. Hurley is, you know, pretty much out of the picture. He's been beaten. They turn on him. Scott is totally outside, so who knows? He can't get involved, you think. And you know Vince Flynn is gone. You don't know that Kyle is doing this long term. No one knows, true, right? True, true. If Kyle or any other author has more than one book in them, you don't know, right? So at the same time, I as a reader on the first read can't see Mitch getting out of this. And knowing, holy crap, Vince is gone. Is the series still going to continue? Wait, I thought this book was going to continue. And then you're like, is this it? Is this where it all ends? Like, holy shit. How is Mitch going to get out of this? And then Scott pulls out this like super massive, was it like an RPG type of thing? But <laughs> Some like, sort of Raytheon, like supersonic. Like yeah. Like a shoulder mounted, just freaking demolish walls. And he just blasts it at the villa and just rumbles the whole house to hell. And, like, massive explosion. And meanwhile, Rap knows it's coming so he could brace for it. And Gould and crew doesn't know it's coming. And so that's how. And Hurley pulls out his a fucking super awesome belt. Or he tries to pull he out tries his to. belt. Oh, we got to talk about that. With a freaking metal, um, not a knife built into the belt. But he can't buckle it. <laughs> it's crazy. And he got it from, like... A hooker or something I guess. in Asia. Yeah, <laughs> they made this belt for him, and he could get through airport security with a hidden kind of long, pointy knife stick in the belt. Like it's just wild. I loved it. It's why I didn't even think about that because I, you know, obviously I read these way later, and knowing that there was books after the Survivor, but yeah, totally, I could see that you wouldn't know, and. Yeah, when 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 Gould or like they go up to the um, Obrex his office and yeah. you see this guy and this guy's wearing like body armor to make him seem like he's fat, like a fat banker, but he turns around and he's actually not Gould, not him, one of the guards, uh, yeah. one of the guards, and then and Scott says coming in and and then that that's that concussion or that you know explosion gives him just a, a little bit of distraction so Mitch can take out that guy as well as some other tangos. Yeah. But he wasn't able to take out Gould. Nope. And when it's just so gutting when you read, he turns to see Gould with his gun in the belly of Stan Hurley. Yep. Pummeling with rounds. Unloading. Unloading. However, you see Hurley, like his mouth is on Gould's neck. Yep. The carotid. The karate and pulls it out. Oh, that was... What did you think of that? That was oh, fucking vicious. vicious, man. It was vicious. You know, ever since Hurley bit the dude's ear off and chomped on it... Oh, you, yeah. You it's know... It's a very, very tying, very tying there. You know he was going to use those good old chompers. Whether he had dentures in there or not, you knew that was going to be a weapon in a big way. And, man... that And here's the better part. Rap watches Gould bleed out, escape down the hallway. He has his moment with Hurley. He knows Hurley passes. But Rap goes around the corner, sees Gould, lines up his sights on him, 
and doesn't take the shot. He yeah, says, what does he say? That's the old man's kill, not mine. Yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. The old man's final kill. What did you think of um, Stan and Mitch's last scene? Like, uh, Mitch even says, you know, because Stan touches his, you know, Mitch obviously says, I'm sorry, you know, yeah. this is my fault. You shouldn't have been here. It was my op. It was my fault. Right. And Stan says, don't worry about it, kid. This yeah. is perfect. And they even barb at each other, like, what happened to your man. knife? What happened to your knife? And he says, <laughs> it got fucking jammed. I'm going to have <laughs> to find that You got that knife hook. in your belt. <laughs> Oh, of course, he's, you know, cracking up till the very end. They're just laughing. Now, the part of that I like the most is Hurley reaches out and touches yes, Rap's shoulder. Yes, touches his shoulder. The only bit of affection he thinks he's ever seen. And it means so much because Rap at one point doesn't like to had be the urge. He doesn't like to be touched, right? But he that. did have the urge to want to hug Hurley when he found out about the diagnosis. Yeah, exactly. He hates the man. But there were a few times where you know Mitch was craving that affection. But you also knew he would never get it. Hmm. And this moment, Hurley's dying final moments, he's willing to give that affection through a touch. Rap is willing to receive it by Except not pulling it. back. It's just, it's it's so warm for such a small line. You know, Hurley reaches out and touches him on the shoulder. What a throwaway line. But what a deep ass line at the same time. That one sentence means a lot. It means a whole lot. It means a lot. And I'll have to say Kyle fucking nailed sending off Stan Hurley. Like that was awesome. Absolutely. The last thing I wanted was some sort of Thomas Stansfield off book, you know, dying of cancer in between and, and, and Mitch is, is at his funeral or, or Irene's at his funeral, whatever, like going out Would with you, a bang. You wanted was the Jedi in the clouds. That's what you exactly. want. Exactly. Force vision of the Jedi with exactly. Thomas Stansfield. <laughs> Who else would show up just right there off to the side? As a force wow, Bill vision. Donovan. <laughs> Bill Donovan. Oh, his map. oh um, uh, one of the old presidents. Yeah, exactly. The priest from uh, the, yo, the priest gets a name drop secondhand. Yes. well, not a name drop, but a, a description drop. Yeah, and hold on, next week we're talking Jack Warch, baby. He's we're back. We're talking Jack Warch, one of my favorite characters, dude. Oh, fat Jack Warch. <laughs> I, I know. Uh, oh man, get ready. Look forward to part two. We might have. Done some nitpicking. We might have had a few things here and there that we disagree with, but you can tell we love it. It's amazing. The Survivor. Thank you, Kyle. Just we're over the moon about this book. You know, the good and the bad. We bring it all, but we love every second of it. So next week, part two, can't wait to get to the end of this one with you. Definitely. Before we go, uh, before we go, uh, we were talking before the pod about we have to have a new word. So, yeah, you know, we. We coined the term, or we at least we believe we coined the term Flinianism. Or Flinian. Flinian. Uh, something's very Flinian. Um, what, what, what do you think for Kyle? Uh, mill, millish? No, 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 no. Millish? Mills. Millsish? Millsian? No. Sounds like a something you learn in philosophy 101. I like Kyleism. 
A Kyleism. It's a Kyleism. Like nihilism, oh, yeah. Kyleism. Oh, I'm down with the Kyleism. Something's funny in, or it, it, it's a Kyleism. So, well, I'm proud to say that this book is perfectly executed with the Flinnianism, even through Kyleism. It was like the perfect merge <laughs> of the two. Yes, it was. All right, that was great, guys. I uh, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, stay tuned to us next week. We'll break down the second half of this book. Uh, again, we need to thank our patrons, our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, George, Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. You can subscribe, rate, and review using your favorite podcasting platform. Find us at midtrappod.com or on Twitter or Instagram at midtrappod. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster, but thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.